This is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Shivani. And I'm Kate, and we are very excited to have Brandy Hoffine joining us here today. Brandy Hoffine graduated from CMC in 2006 and started her career in Washington, D.C., working as a business analyst for Deloitte. After moving to the Democratic National Committee, she quickly rose to the position of Deputy National Press Secretary. Brandy is now the Assistant Press Secretary at the White House and was previously the National Press Secretary for Vice Presidential Candidate Tim Kaine. So thank you so much for joining us, Brandy. Thank you guys for having me. It's my pleasure. So one of the most interesting things um, and sort of where we love to start our podcast is this concept of inflection points uh, or turning points in your life. And so be it in your personal or professional where you sort of it, it kind of trajected as to where you uh, ended up today. And so we would uh, love to hear some of those inflection points. Yeah, so um, two important ones come to mind. So the first is uh, very personal to CMC, which is as most people who, and some of you who may be listening to this, uh, experience in their senior year of college, I was a little bit at a loss for what I wanted to do and what the right career step would be. I had done the Washington DC program, and so I knew I really loved DC and knew I loved working in politics. But like a lot of CMCers, the lore of you know, on-campus business recruiting was right. really attractive to me at the time because <laughs> I was worried about getting a job, Fair. like everybody is. Um, so <clears throat> I went through that process and I actually got an offer to work for Deloitte Consulting, as you said. Uh, and I tried it for about a year and change. And that got me to uh, fall of 2007. And so fall of 2007, for anyone who's interested in politics, was sort of this like amazing time, in particular, also on the Republican side, but on the Democratic side, mm. you had these wonderful candidates from sort of different ends of the party, Hillary Clinton being more kind of the establishment candidate at the time and Barack Obama being a little bit more the insurgent candidate. But anybody who was living in DC who was a Democrat was following these races really closely. And I just felt the tug that, um, you know, perhaps I had gotten a little off the track that I thought I was going to be on and that maybe business consulting wasn't going to be my forever job. So I uh, left um, and had submitted my resume just cold to the DNC, didn't know anyone over there, but crossed my fingers and toes, and somehow it got fished out of a pile. So that, to me, is one inflection point where Absolutely. I could have you know, not gotten that opportunity, and that wouldn't have been my entry point into politics. Mm-hmm. So uh, they hired me to do opposition research, uh, which is uh, you know, Professor Pitney at CMC. Uh, anyone who's taken his class <laughs> knows yeah. that there is a storied history of CMCers doing opposition oh, research. Right. Um, I don't want to drop any names. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so that was really my foray into uh, democratic politics, and it was really the tug of that 2007, that really exciting election time that got me there. Uh, there's one other, which is right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's almost the end of the administration. I'm planning to stay as long as they'll have me until <laughs> um, they kick me out and you know take my badge. Uh, but it's definitely an inflection point right now, looking back at sort of my 10-year career in Washington and trying to think about what I might want to do next. Absolutely. So I'm kind of in one right now. Okay, wonderful. Uh, drawing it back to your switch from consulting to going into the public sector, I'm really interested to see, there's a lot of kids that I think coming from CMC go directly to the consulting route or the finance route, and I'm really curious to see if you have any ideas how we can incentivize more people to go into the political life, to go into the public sector. Yeah, so um, perhaps I'm a little bit of a hypocrite, but I will give the advice that uh, the Washington, D.C. program is a really good way to do that. I think it made me feel really comfortable in D.C., and it made me feel really comfortable navigating D.C., and so getting that experience before you graduate Mm -hmm. uh, 
kind of makes the transition to getting into politics a lot easier because you have some contacts already, you know your way around the city, you have someone who's a reference for you already from a job or you've worked full time. So I think that that's really valuable. The other thing I would say to anyone um, who's thinking about getting into politics and you know, I, it's hard. I, I love my career path and there are a lot of twists and turns, but right. if I wanted to take a more direct career path, I should have joined a campaign right out of CMC. Campaigns are the um, best possible way to start your reputation off in DC because mm -hmm. um, you go out and you work with this, you know, tight, close-knit group of people. You kill yourself for however long <laughs> it is. Um, you get in early, you stay late, you take on as much responsibility as you can handle because there's always more work than there are bodies to do it. Absolutely. Uh, you rise up quickly and you really hone your skill sets under a lot of pressure and um, in, a, in a scenario where results really matter. And so I think in terms of a quick way to get the most practical experience you can and to really move up the ladder, mm -hmm. I would recommend both the Washington DC program um, and then, you know, more people at CMC looking to go to Democratic campaigns. And, you know, it's hard because oftentimes there aren't jobs right away. You have to go and volunteer and prove yourself right. and then get on. And that's not something that everybody can afford to do. It certainly wasn't something I could afford to do mm -hmm. at that time in my life. So I do think CMC could think critically about ways that it could um, incentivize people to be able to kind of take that risk that you need to take to get your foot in the door Absolutely. on the campaign. Wonderful. Um, and then I'm really curious, so you said you're kind of on the tail end now of working for as White House Press, Assistant White House Press Secretary. It's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> Usually I just call myself spokesperson okay, and that like that. makes it a little easier. We'll, we'll, we'll wait so that. we can uh, be easy. Previously you were working for Tim Kaine and I'm really curious, how is it different crafting stories for a senator like Tim Kaine versus crafting stories for the White House? How is the process dif different or is it different at all to create those narratives? Yeah, so um, when I worked for Tim, he was running for the Senate. So I was his communications director on his campaign. And working on a campaign versus and doing press versus working in government, I found to be really different. And one sort of interesting difference is it didn't matter what I was telling a reporter when I was wearing my campaign hat. Mm -hmm. It sort of came through the filter of spin. Right. And so you could be giving them cold, hard facts that you could prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. But um, there was always this veneer of anything you said, you were sort of speaking on behalf of a campaign. Um, that's still true in government, and it's definitely true at the White House, which tends to be a little bit more sort of uh, in the political mix than other departments. But in between Tim Kaine and the White House, I worked at the Treasury Department. And that was really interesting because the Treasury Department does so much that's just like really ministerial functions of government. Right. And so reporters would come to you with honest to goodness questions and they would rely on you to find the policy expert or to get the information and mm -hmm. give it to them that they could talk to in order to really understand an issue. And so in that scenario, you were a little bit more like a trusted emissary of facts. Uh, at least that's how I felt like reporters approached mm -hmm. our interactions than on the campaign where no matter how many facts you were dealing in at all, it sort of came through the veneer of spin. So that's something that I noticed were a little different um, between the two. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's sort of very similar interactions with reporters when it comes down to it, which is um, the more you know your stuff and the more credible you are, the more likely they are to come to you again, the more likely they are to trust you, and the more likely they are to um, you know, take what you're saying seriously and consider it in right. their, and the way they report their stories. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the, one of the most interesting things was the description of the press secretary, secretary office as definitely specialists within the institution. You know, they have to know the ins and outs um, to a great amount of depth. And so something uh, interesting and sort of tangentially related uh, is this kind of, this sort of breakfast with brandy uh, narrative 
So would you speak more to that? Because I thought that was extremely fascinating. Yeah, so Breakfast with Brandy was basically something that we called what I did at the DNC internally. Um, I woke up every morning, generally around quarter to five, <laughs> and would comb the news after having stayed up late the night before and looked at the news. <laughs> this is what we call devotion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I would come up with a list of what I thought were sort of the three to five most important uh, you know, political stories or even pieces of a story that I really wanted reporters to see that day. Right. And I wanted it to be in their inbox when they woke up so that um, it sort of informed their lens on the whole day. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, there's a sort of a tradition of doing this in politics, and um, Mike Allen is sort of famous for uh, starting Playbook, which often arrived in people's inboxes before the sun did, right. before the sun came up. Um, so we wanted to sort of copy that model and um, find a way to make sure that the Democratic stories that mattered to us at the DNC were getting into people's inboxes super early in the morning. So we affectionately called it Breakfast with Brandy. <laughs> there was not a lot of breakfast. There was a lot of early morning emails. Um, but it was a great way, you know, as someone who is young uh, in the Democratic Party infrastructure for me to get my name out there, because my Absolutely. name was on all the emails that went out to this listserv of, you know, I think probably thousands of people, <laughs> uh, both Democratic Party and reporters. Um, and so later on in my career, people would just have a familiarity with me and right. they wouldn't really know where they met me. And they really hadn't met me was the answer, but I had been in their inbox consistently for a year and a half, pestering them between 5 and 6 a.m. every morning. And so, um, you know, people sort of know me, knew me before they uh, actually got to meet me. So it was a great thing for my career, but it was also, I think, really helpful for the party too. Absolutely. Um, and going off that, so getting into people's inbox, really shifting that. How has, since you started, how has things changed with viral news kind of taking over within a 24-hour period or a 12-hour period and just taking off? How do you kind of deal with that and change your strategies to fit that? Yeah, to, to extend upon that, like where sort of your new era of journalists tend to be citizens um, and just anyone with a smartphone or access to a camera, like how does, how does that sort of shift your approach to really getting in? on pop and in front of the news. So I think you guys are, are both exactly right that the sort of challenge that we're up, the, the benefit and the challenge to the changing media environment is um, you can do a lot. Mm -hmm. You can get your message out to a lot of different types of people on a lot of different platforms in one day. On the other hand, you have to do a lot if you're gonna serve your boss, in this case, the president, right. while you can't rely on just one platform of media uh, exclusively. And so um, a really good example of this, actually there's two really good examples of this I can give you. Uh, when the president traveled to Cuba earlier this year, uh, it was a historic trip. Right. We had lifted the embargo on Cuba, and um, the president was sort of going there for the first time to see uh, the country. And we did an interview with ABC News, David Muir, the president sat down with him. That's a very traditional thing that White Houses have done for years and years uh, since the advent of sort of nightly television mm. news. Uh, so we did that interview. But we also did an interview at the baseball game they played there with ESPN. Right. And so the president chatted a little baseball, but he also chatted a little Cuba policy. And those probably reached, you know, pretty different audiences. There's some overlap, I think, but um, probably fairly different audiences. And so, um, you know, one thing we really wanted to do there was not just tell that story in one place, but to tell that story in as many places uh, and using as many tools as we could. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think we have to be very creative about how we get the president's message out. Um, the other sort of famous Barack Obama uh, example is uh, when he did Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis. Brilliant segment. I always rewatch that one. And it's hilarious. I actually rewatched it in preparation for tonight, too, because it had been a while since I'd, <laughs> I'd seen it. And it, A, it's a really excellent piece of comedy. But the more important thing is uh, 
that video was the single biggest driver of people to the Affordable Care Act website. He did the interview ostensibly to promote open Mm -hmm. enrollment um, of anything we did. Period. End of story. So when you think about how, you know, these people sort of talk about these newer tools as very novel and interesting and you have to stay up on them, but they're also incredibly powerful tools for helping support the president's proactive policy agenda, in this case, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Last time I looked, it had 39 million views, uh, and it was really impactful in getting the word out about the open enrollment period. So, um, you know, I think it's really imperative for everyone who does the type of work that I do uh, to stay up on the current trends and to think creatively about how you can use them to really reach people where they're getting their news. Absolutely. So, you know, that that sort of could be considered an evolution of um, sort of the office and and access points uh, into different groups of people. What other evolutions or sort of shifts have you seen throughout the press secretary office? And has then, uh, if anything, like, you know, more recent trends that you've had to adopt to really stay up uh, with, with current driving forces? Yeah, I mean, one I think is uh, is the way Twitter has impacted the way we do our job. Absolutely. And so it's it, it, it impacts it both sort of incoming and outgoing. So I guess what I would say is incoming, you know, to your point, pretty much any citizen with a phone uh, can be a reporter in some sense of mm-hmm. the word. And so there's news breaking on Twitter, there's conversations happening on Twitter that shape news stories and press narratives and uh, drive the kind of questions we get in the daily press briefing every right. day at the White House. And so I think being attuned to that conversation is really important. Um, the president's obviously the first president to have a Twitter handle, which you know will go down in the annals <laughs> of history, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, but also, you know, we have really worked to put a lot of our White House staff on Twitter, and not just people like me that are you know whose primary job is to talk to reporters all mm-hmm. day, but Cecilia Munoz, who's the um, director of the Democratic Policy Council, Jason Furman, who's the chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. Um, People who play core policy functions in our administration are engaging with uh, reporters and citizens on Twitter to try to help answer questions and explain the president's thinking on any myriad of issues. And that's like an addition to their incredibly busy and important day jobs, Mm -hmm. but it's an essential addition. You know, they can bring a, a level of expertise and a, um, you know, sort of insight into our thinking on issues that sometimes we can't. And so rather than making the funnel them to me to the people, you know, this White House has really worked to open that up. And it carries some risk putting people who don't necessarily always talk to the press um, out there in sort of a direct or you know, don't always talk to citizens every day out there Absolutely. in kind of a direct interactive role. But we've had a lot of success uh, in terms of helping to explain the president's thinking on key issues by expanding the uh, number of people who can serve as, you know, spokespeople, quote unquote, you know, on Twitter. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, and we're almost out of time. So our question we always like to end on is what is your personal definition of success and what advice would you give to students in defining success for themselves? It is a bit nebulous. Yeah. <laughs> that, but... Woo, that's a heavy one. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is necessarily my definition of success, but I found a lot of personal fulfillment in a you know busy and fun career but a career that it's underpinning as public service absolutely and um i think that as i think about what i want to do next you know the kind of common theme that i want to kind of run through my life is uh public service and um you know i've done a lot of work recently the president obviously nominated chief judge merrick garland mm-hmm. to the supreme court earlier this year one of the issues i work on is trying to get him confirmed and he's someone who 
despite having an incredibly um, you know, robust and high-profile career in Washington, D.C., has volunteered for the last 19 years at an elementary school tutoring kids. And so seeing people who are incredibly important figures in their own right, who find time in their lives, and you know, he's a public servant in his own right, too. He worked at the Department of Justice. He's a, a federal judge. Hopefully, he'll be a Supreme Court justice. He's a real role model to me as someone who, whether, whatever your job title is, you can find ways to serve the public in ways that are sustained um, and fulfilling and that deeply commit you to your community. And so I think as I think about you know, what I want to do next and what I've been doing, uh, finding ways, either ways that pay you or ways <laughs> that don't, to serve the public is something that I, I find a lot of fulfillment in. Absolutely. That's incredible. And as someone who's going to be on the DC program next semester, uh, hopefully we'll carry on with that trend. Um, But unfortunately, that is all the time we have today. Thank you again, Brandy, for joining us. And to all the listeners out there, remember to stay hungry.